What is it about? Computational communication science. Welcome back to the podcast. What is it about computational communication science? I'm Emma Schadomahidi. I'm an assistant professor at TU Ilmenau in Germany. Hi, my name is Mario Heim. I'm a professor at LMU Munich uh, for communication science, especially yeah, <laughs> yeah especially computational communication uh, science. That's a first. We welcome you to this episode where we kind of want to turn things a bit upside down. We tackled computational communication science from a social scientist scientific perspective a lot in the past. And today we want to reach out to computer science and see what is it that makes social science important and interesting for them. And for that, I think we have the perfect guest. Claudia Wagner is with us today. Hi, Claudia. Hello. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Welcome. Welcome. We are happy to have you. Claudia is a professor for Applied Computational Social Sciences at RWTH Aachen, yes. the, the yes. Technical University of Aachen. And she's also the head of the Computational Social Science Department at GESIS. Um, for those who are not familiar with, GESIS is an archive for social science data and infrastructure provider in Germany. Claudia got her PhD in computer science at the Technische Universität in Graz and then moved to, to Germany where she first started in, in Koblenz-Landau and then later went on to Gesis and now to, um, to Aachen. And she's also uh, or has had several connections with the industries, uh, with um, HP, with Xerox, with uh, Yahoo Labs. Um, so she's very invested in, in these topics from an industrial but also from a scientific perspective. And... She co-authored quite influential pieces in computational social science, among others, in the world leading academic journals in nature and in science. Claudia, how did you come to study social phenomena in the first place? You're a computer scientist by training. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I did my PhD in the Faculty of Computer Science, but I was working in an area which I would call web science or web mining. And there, you know, I was mainly interested in automated methods for text analysis. Um, and in that context, I was studying text in social media because at that point in time, you know, there were many challenges that came up due to short messages that were published on, on social media. And there I was particularly interested in the, the social context in which these messages are published and to what extent we can use these social context information to actually improve text analysis methods. And that's how I came to kind of, you know, look into uh, social processes, uh, information about audiences, demographic information about users that publish this type of information and so on. And then I also did some internships in industry because at that point in time, it was not clear to me whether I would stay in academia or whether I would go to industry. And there, uh, there was a lot of interest in uh, profiling users, right? And the type of uh, things that I was working on were relevant for those companies because they were interested in actually turning things around and using um, automated text analysis methods to understand more about users, their interests, their preferences, what advertisements to show to them and so on. 
And I was really interested in this kind of uh, intersection between, you know, social questions, but also computer science methods. And then I think I was lucky because when I finished my PhD, the computational social science department was funded at GESIS. And I think this was one of the first places in Europe where, you know, really a lot of scholars came together to kind of uh, work on this intersection between computer science and social sciences. And that's why I moved there and I started my postdoc career there. Sounds really impressive in my eyes uh, and, a, and a great choice to join GESIS at that time, obviously. Today, we have the topic, does computer science need the social sciences? And this is, of course, a very specific question. You already outlined um, how challenges of so-called modern phenomena influenced your work from the beginning. I would say one phenomenon is that digital technologies are ubiquitous nowadays. So we basically find them everywhere, as you said, and uh, thus we find this data everywhere that we could use. And so you say in your piece, in your nature piece, that algorithmic and human processes and behavior are entangled. And I wanted to ask whether you could elaborate on that. So what do you mean by that? I mean, maybe let's first talk about your first question, right? Whether um Computer science needs the social sciences. I would say yes, definitely, right? And there are at least two reasons that immediately come to my mind why this is the case. The first is because uh, algorithms have an influence on our society, right? So this is uh, very obvious. And for that reason, it's also important that uh, social scientists look into those phenomena um, and the potential effects that uh, algorithmic systems uh, and also the, the platforms and, and services uh, that power these algorithms um, have on society and on our democracy. At the same time, I also think that social scientists um, contribute already to um, system design. The roots of computational social science from a computer science perspective are, from my point of view, in the community um, of information systems uh, and also computer-supported cooperative work, where computer scientists look at these systems like Wikipedia or online community platforms because they design and build those systems. And typically, computer scientists are interested to build systems to, to solve some tasks, right? And if you think about a system like Wikipedia, what is the task? Well, the task is that a large group of people collaboratively uh, write an encyclopedia. So this is a collaborative process. And how do you measure whether this task is successful? Well, uh, I mean, this has to do, I think, with the, the content quality, with criteria of inclusiveness uh, and so on. And I think there already you can see that also for designing those systems as a computer scientist, you need to understand how the people use those systems and what are the criteria that you want to optimize for uh, and how can you support them in actually fulfilling the, the task, right, or optimizing the task. And I think also there it's really important that insights from the social sciences are incorporated into these processes. The second part of the question was what I mean by algorithmically infused societies. Yeah, you already said it. So it's it's basically, I mean, I, I don't think that the term is, is new at all, right? So, I mean, we, we have heard this before from, you know, visionary scholars like Dana Boyd and others, and we cite this work. So their algorithms are part of our society. They have an influence on our society. What, what we describe in this, this article and what I think is the, the, the novel part here is, is really what are the, the consequences for the social sciences that want to measure those 
algorithmically infused societies where uh, on the one hand algorithms you know impact social political economic but also scientific processes but at the same time we also see these feedback loops and i think you know this is something that is is really important because it makes studying those algorithmically infused societies quite complex you mentioned wikipedia as an example so the the problem that is being solved is a collaborative creation compilation of encyclopedic work at the same time wikipedia has now turned what 25 years 20 years it's it's a quite old system in in internet terms and yet we see the inter mingling of computer science and social sciences only recently well let's say for 10 years maybe but not since this um, these systems came up so is this really a new phenomena that the technical solutions that build let's say wikipedia also affect how social science social life um, works or what has changed what's the new part there well, I, th I think, I mean, it's not new that technology affects society, right? So, I mean, we all know that. And of course, there are scholars uh, in, in the social sciences that focus on the sociology of technology and science and technology scholars and so on, right, that uh, do nothing else than thinking about how technology has changed society in the past and is still changing society. I think what is new from my perspective about what we see at the moment uh, are, are three things. And this is the ubiquity of those technologies in all areas of our life, the uh, opacity of technology. So people often are not even aware of that they are affected by technology and their choices and behavior uh, is to some extent affected. And also the dynamics, because I think at the moment we really see that new technologies and new algorithms are coming up all the time, right? There is so much innovation going on uh, due to the huge amount of data that is becoming available and technologies like deep learning and so on. So that's why I think there is uh, the, also the velocity, the speed of innovation has changed in this area. And I think these three factors are new from my point of view. Is that your perspective or is that also a perspective that the industry increasingly shares? That's something I, I don't know if the industry would share this perspective, I'm afraid. Uh, that, that's at least my perspective, I would say. I'm, I'm also asking that because in the, in, in the past episodes, we've talked a lot about how policymaking has changed recently in this regard. That social life needs to also, to some extent, set regulations probably to technology. Ethical aspects came up rather recently. Um, I'm wondering whether this is also something that has gained traction inside companies, because that's where we don't have that much insight and maybe you have more. Well, I mean, I, I certainly think that uh, the, the regulations have a, an effect on, on an industry, right? And, and we have seen regulations uh, recently, right, as you said, that came up and that clearly, um, you know, have an effect, you know, talking about the, the right of explanations, for example, right, which of course has an uh, effect on uh, companies that develop uh, AI systems or that uh, even deploy AI algorithms, because now they need to think about, uh, you know, these, these regulations that uh, as an individual, I have the right to receive an explanation if uh, an AI system uh, is involved in making decisions about me that have an, you know, an, an important effect on my, my life, right? Um, but also other things like, you know, the, the, uh, the right to... Um, to be forgotten? 
to be forgotten exactly uh, the, the right to kind of have uh, take my data with me right so and so on and, and these things have an effect on industry and are positive developments right uh, i would say that's i i find that to some extent um relaxing to hear also because of course it has an effect if you put up regulations and, and companies have to adhere to that but also to hear from you that um, your impression also is that it, it there is a, a kind of a rethinking taking place inside companies that maybe computer science should take social effects more into account already when developing new um, tools or, or solutions would you share that Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think we see a, a change also in, in computer science when you simply look at the curricula at, at universities, right, where more and more ethics uh, courses um, are added to the mainstream curricula of computer science. And, and I think that's great, right? And this is important because these are the, the people that uh, build, uh, you know, automated systems that think about how to automate, uh, you know, certain tasks that then have an effect on um, our society. And it's, it's important that um, we also teach computer science um, students some um, or, or give them some skills to kind of uh, critically reflect on, um, you know, certain issues. And for that, I think it's fantastic that we have ethics courses uh, in computer science curricula. Absolutely. And it's super important because, as you said, all these technologies are very ubiquitous. So they are um, present in all life areas. And as maybe we could give an example of what we mean by that. Right, because you said uh, we all know they are there, but in which areas of my life can I find algorithmic solutions and where maybe I'm not even aware of it? There's, of course, the area of information consumption online, where you have search engines and recommendation algorithms that impact what type of information you see and consume and what cultural artifacts you, you consume. Uh, then you would have product recommendations as another example, which might have an impact on, on what you actually buy. People recommendations that might impact, you know, who you are friends with, whom you date, credit scoring algorithms that have an impact on your financial abilities, right? Then algorithms in the employment sector, where uh, we also have seen recently examples, uh, for example, in Austria, right? Where we had a very concrete example of the Austrian employment agency developing an, an algorithm that would classify people into three groups and then uh, kind of saying, well, you know, uh, people in the, in the first group are those that would easily find a job again. Uh, in the second group would be people, you know, that are somehow in between easily finding and not finding at all a, a job. And then the third group, right, uh, being basically uh, hopeless. Uh, and then the, the idea was to basically focus most uh, financial support into group uh, B, because this is the group where uh, this would be, you know, best invested, right? So this was uh, an efficiency question here. And of course, uh, this raises all kinds of ethical and, and, and legal uh, concerns. So this sounds indeed quite impactful. And obviously, the problem is that these algorithms, as you already mentioned, a bit might be biased, for example, so might disadvantage certain groups, certain societal groups who then might uh, not get a job anymore, for example, they uh, might be classified uh, for wrong reasons or with a wrong result. And of course, without feedback loop and without yeah, scientific investment, it is super difficult to change such, uh, yeah, such results. 
You mentioned that more and more ethics classes and courses are included in, in, in um, the curricula of, of computer science. That's a great development. But is that how you would see the social impact of developments being handled? Or is that one part of I don't know, more and more interdisciplinary collaboration with other sciences? Well, I mean, I think that uh, this is a positive development, but it does certainly not uh, replace uh, interdisciplinary curricula, which are also super important. I think for computer science scholars that could go in, you know, very different directions at the end, right? Not everyone is interested in information systems uh, or, you know, web systems and so on, right? Um, but for everyone, I think it's important to have these basics about, you know, critical reflections, ethical questions, uh, some knowledge about legal frameworks and so on. But then at the same time, I think it's really important that we, we have interdisciplinary curricula where uh, social scientists that have an interest in these um, uh, information systems and how technology affects society and computer scientists that have the same interest actually come together um, and uh, study um, these these phenomena with different types of methodologies, right? That on the one hand are, you know, the typical methodologies from the empirical social sciences um, and, and at the same time also new computational methods that are introduced by computer scientists that can also be useful for studying these, these kind of often also digital phenomena, right? I'm, I'm also asking that because my impression is from what you, you told us before that computer science kind of um, needs this social reflection. However, uh, social sciences, we, we don't have the theories that apply to a, um, a, a algorithmically infused society in that sense. Our theories are maybe 20 years, 30 years, 40 years old and don't provide all the solutions that maybe computer science is looking for. Well, this is exactly one of the limitations that we also describe in this Nature article, that we really see that there is a lack of social theories that are actually uh, taking algorithms into account, right? And since they are an important part of our society and have such a big influence and cause these feedback loops, which is something that we have not explained yet, but which, which I think is important, that's why I think we need to put scholars from different disciplines together and also think about how we can use um, empirical data, computational methods, uh, qualitative methods to kind of create new theories, right, that can also be used to derive hypotheses that can then be empirically tested. So I think that the connection between data and theory should become stronger, right? And, and could become stronger due to the availability of large amounts of data. This is, of course, as well, uh, the question of deductive and inductive approaches, which is uh, yeah, quite important from a social science perspective. But you might be right, of course, that we um, need to do this now, that we are maybe for the first time on a big scale in the situation that we can observe human behavior. I mean, obviously with limitations in a digital setting, but still we can do it now on a large scale and that the next step or the next important step might be not so much a small improvements in this or that method, but really more a theoretical framework that we have to work on collaboratively. I'm, I totally agree. I think that 
maybe even like, I mean, thinking about inductive and deductive approaches, I think we, we need to think more in an abductive way because I think it's a loop in the end. There, there is power in working inductively to kind of observe uh, patterns. But then, of course, this is not the end of the story. Then we need to kind of uh, see um, whether this already connects with theories, whether theories need to be improved. There is great work on uh, computational grounded theory, which I think is a super interesting direction for, for future work. And, and I think we need to bring the strength of working inductively and observing patterns and working deductively, right? And starting from theories together. And uh, this this is possible uh, when we, we collaborate, right? Because we have different um, um, abilities. And I think, for example, from my experience, uh, collaborating with social scientists is extremely fruitful when you think about the deductive way, because it's not easy to derive um, hypotheses from theories. Uh, actually, often it's extremely hard from my point of view. Um, and this is maybe also something that can be improved by um, type of theories that are created, right? Because I think there, if you think about middle range theories, right, then it, it might be actually easier to kind of, you know, derive concrete hypothesis. But I think in general, I think for social scientists, this is easier, right? Because you are familiar with the theoretical body that is important uh, in the field. And um, then deriving interesting hypotheses from those theories that can then be operationalized and tested with empirical data. Um, that is something where I think in the first step for deriving those theories, the social science expertise is extremely valuable. I would, as a social scientist, I would as well argue that most behavior do not change so easily. Right. So, so obviously new technologies come up, uh, at least, for example, if I talk about the effects of media. So I, I know that there is always the question, oh, well, what will this media change, be it the TV or the Internet? And now maybe more, yeah, if you want to count algorithms as an own sort of uh, media influence. And very often we find that actually effects are quite small. For example, having friends does not change uh, so easy, right? Uh, whether it's an online or an offline setting, it's yeah normally not a completely new behavior. So maybe this might as well be a contribution why we have to adapt our theories and maybe come up with theories for new behavior. I think there is a lot that we can integrate into this hopefully new and more comprehensive theoretical framework. So, okay, but uh, if, if we follow on that, why can't a computer scientist learn social theory? So why is it necessary to team up with a social scientist? Well, I mean, I think a, a computer scientist can learn social theory, right? I would not mm -hmm. agree that a computer scientist can't learn that. Uh, but of course, you cannot put two full curricula into, uh, you know, five years of studying, right? So that's not possible. So I think what is useful there is, right? I mean, if you, of course, do your PhD in an interdisciplinary environment, you will anyway need to read up on, you know, the um, specific theory that is relevant for your, your research. But I think that's at least my experience. If you are exposed to uh, scholars from uh, a different discipline, this is extremely inspiring, right? They will point you towards things that you would not come across otherwise. Uh, you can discuss, you know, theories, wisdom, or, or you know, literature that is out of your your domain. And I think that's actually um, why I think that interdisciplinary work is, um, you know, 
fun. And I don't think that we need to replace each other, right? But I think if you work on um, a PhD in this area, you certainly will also learn about social theories. You will not become a social scientist by doing that because you will focus on a very specific part that is relevant for your specific research, right? But you will certainly need to read into those things because you cannot rely on a social scientist basically doing that for you, you cannot. right? Never, never rely on a social scientist. But the same applies <laughs> the other way around, right? I mean, in our curricula, we also have now courses that teach you how to code, to do computational methods. And, and still we cannot make a social scientist, a computer scientist by, by training. However, when we collaborate, and we've, we've talked about collaborations also on this podcast before, we very regularly face several additional hurdles that come into play, um, maybe especially between computer science and social science, but or maybe just because it's different disciplines uh, at all. They bring in different perspectives, which can be fruitful, of course, but you have to understand each other's perspective first. Um, for example, a deterministic perspective on things versus a rather probabilistic perspective on things. Um, computer scientists tend to come up with ideas for modeling specific behavior, whereas uh, the social scientists uh, rather wanted to rely on measuring them and not um, interpolating, for example. Is that something that could slow down this, well, interdisciplinary work? Or is that something you would say that we can, we can take more out of that? Or there's a third option. Is it maybe a new discipline that we're talking about? Not just the intersection between those two, but the computational social science as kind of this inherent new species? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's, it's certainly a new thing, but at the same time, uh, it's integrated into the social sciences and also into uh, computer science, or at least the specific area of applied computer sciences that focuses on those information systems or mass collaboration systems. What you just described of being rather descriptive in, you know, analyzing a certain phenomenon and then connecting these empirical descriptions with theories versus building models. And most of the time, I think predictive models, right, that also have the goal to predict future or behavior or at least now cast behavior. And then there's a third thing basically explaining behavior, right? These three steps are extremely important that if you manage to bring them together in a collaborative project, then I'm sure that all sides uh, gain from this. This doesn't mean that uh, the social scientist can't do the typical social science paper in a social science outlet where you say, well, I, I do my analysis and I focus on the theoretical part. And, you know, the empirical part is not the big thing in this paper. It's more that, you know, it supports my argumentation line, right? Um, but then at the same time, if you uh, decide uh, in an early stage of the project that there will be these two or three papers coming out of the collaboration where one paper would have more this storyline and then there would be another paper where you bring the descriptive part with the modeling part together and you actually show that uh, what you what you build there, right, and what you hypothesize has a certain predictive power, right? I mean, this is fantastic, right, if you can show that on top of uh, the descriptive work. And then you could even think a step further, right, and think about, okay, but does this also uh, help me to create 
explanations, not only predictions, but can I derive um, from my model? Does my model have a certain explanatory power that I can go beyond just, uh, you know, doing predictions? And then again, I think the social science expertise comes in by uh, analyzing the model, right? And what the model actually learned and, and to what extent this can lead to meaningful uh, explanations um, that, you know, are human interpretable, right? My, my experience is that, uh, especially in the, in the more elaborated um, social sciences, they are a bit hesitant toward these perspectives, so to say. Is that something you also see in computer science, a, a certain hesitancy approaching social science? I don't think so, actually. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still thinking I... I... <laughs> that, that, that leaves you in a liberal light and me in a very conservative <laughs> one. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe like one... One concern that I stumbled up on myself, uh, you know, when I started, uh, you know, working in this very interdisciplinary environment was that I, I find it, I still sometimes find it hard to, to kind of understand the practical purpose of some theories, right? In the sense of that, you know, deriving this clear hypothesis that then also have some predictive power and also some um, explanatory power, right? So this is, is maybe not always easy to understand from a computer science perspective because sometimes they are very abstract and very high level and then kind of thinking about you know how would you concretely test this theory and what would be the implications of those theories how would you include those theoretical knowledge into building better systems for example right or into um improving society in one way or the other right this is sometimes you know hard for me to understand. I'm not sure if that's different for social scientists, but I would say that uh, at least that was something that I was, when I started reading things, I, I found it sometimes hard to understand how someone would test this and how I could compare, right? There are so many competing theories for some phenomena that this is another problem. What is actually you know, the state of the art, has the discipline agreed up on something or are there multiple competing ideas around and can we somehow test them and decide which one is the best? Yeah, these, these are questions that I, I still, I would say, stumble up on from time to time. And, and so do we. Societies are complex and every society is different. It, it, there, is, there is lots of factors to, to well, factor in. Yeah, absolutely. And theories are complex as well so they are often not meant for testing or not in that sense uh, yeah not in a very straightforward way i would say it's complicated for us as well mario i agree with you <laughs> but if they are not meant for testing now i have to ask what, what are they meant for then <laughs> i mean if i can't test the theory how can i decide uh, that you know this actually has has a value in uh, explaining what's going on in society i mean this this is something that I'm always wondering about. Just in our defense, it's not that none of our theories is testable. That's not the case. No. <laughs> but um, certain theories are on, on levels where they try to explain how, well, societal life or in our case, media effects, for example, work. A very traditional theory is uh, the agenda setting theory where you would measure what's important for the news and what is important to the public. and 
when you try to model that in, in time series analysis and see that what is important for people follows what is important to the news, then the field would say, well, this is agenda setting. The, the media has set the agenda. But at the same time, and with the internet, of course, everything changes. But at the same time, you can say, okay, but where are all the other influences? I mean, I not only read the news, but I also talk to my wife or I listen to my teacher who also has influences on, on my, my perceived agenda of what is important. So there's lots of different effects kind of intermingling and, and those high-level uh, theories then try to kind of explain this overarching mode where we, and Amesha has said that before, then face very small effects which might not be that interesting to computer scientists, question mark? I, I don't think that small effects are not interesting, right? It depends on what is their relevance. I mean, if we think about the example that I, I brought up before about the algorithms that are used in a hiring context in the employment agency, right? Even small effects can have severe causes on, on individuals or in certain groups of people. And of course, we need to care about these small effects. Uh, the same might apply to media studies. This is uh, something that, uh, you know, the two of you know much better than I, but I, I assume that uh, also there we could imagine that uh, also small effects would have a certain uh, effect on minorities or uh, fringe communities that could, for example, lead to higher extremism or, or other things, right? So. Um, I think it's important that we put the effects in context, right? And that we think about what the effect actually means. I have to work on my conservative reputation that I'm now building on myself, but agenda setting is a quite old example. I think the expectation in those collaborations sometimes are rather high in that we have these huge social scientific theories and questions and then there is the powerful computer science and now we bring these together and solve everything and i think the good examples of fruitful collaborations focus on much smaller questions and much more uh, focused questions on you mentioned fringe communities on polarization for example how polarized are certain communities, how polarized are societies, depending on in which platforms communication, for example, can take or takes place. We also see a lot of research in, in subfields such as health communication, for example, where questions then tackle um, questions of public health. How can certain platforms help prevent self-harm, for example? How do social media affect emotion? These are much more specific questions where we also have theoretical roots, um, so to say, and where I think the collaboration is much more fruitful than to kind of tackle how does society work or is there an agenda setting effect. But still, I think on the long run, this is one hope, right? That we can, <laughs> um, as, because I said for, uh, before, the theories are not meant to be tested. I mean, obviously, this is not true. We just don't have really good ways to test them at the moment. And this hope that in collaboration with all these data at some point in time, maybe not now, but we will come up with theories that we can test or we can test the bigger theories on the societal level or maybe employ new theories. Like there, there are some, for example, I mean, there are some attempts, uh, attempts to use complexity theories for societies and maybe measure this with digital data to be able to think not only about very 
clear phenomena that we find in the data, but as well explore emergent phenomena and so on. So I think there's a lot going on and hopefully at some point we come together and uh, can discuss one of those uh, yeah, bigger, more, more overarching attempts that could arise from these um, collaborations. I, I like this idea of an abductive feedback loop where we come up with theories together and I'm, I'm wondering what could be or what's in our way to strengthen collaborations for social computational social science how can we strengthen that in the long run we have some conferences at the intersection of computer science and social science we have first journals what else would you say would help foster this environment of a stronger collaboration? I mean, I, I think the most important thing is that collaborations are um, beneficial for all sides. I don't think it's really a question about outlets. I think there are outlets. And if you have a, a good research uh, piece, right, you, you can certainly publish that in, in different venues. So depending on, on how you then actually, you know, frame the problem and how you describe the, the research study. What is more important, I think, is that, but, but this is happening more and more, right? That, that all sides kind of understand what are the benefits of, of the collaboration. And I think it's important that this is made clear from the beginning. I think in the, the early days when, when I started working in the area of computational social science, it was maybe a bit more the, the attitude that the computer scientists would do the data analysis part and that the social scientists would do the, the theory part. And then you put this somehow together. And I think now, you know, we, we, we can and we should go way beyond that, right? So if we, at the beginning, think about what is the problem, right? I think both sides should agree that this is an interesting problem from a social science perspective, from a computer science perspective, because the question, for example, has potential implications on system design, right? So if you, you know, think about uh, the example you made before, the, the health communication, you know, I could imagine a lot of interesting questions for uh, computer scientists that are interested in human-computer interaction, for example, right? And system design, I mean, how can you change those systems in a way that um, they are actually supporting those specific health community in kind of, um, you know, sharing their, their concerns um, or, uh, you know, supporting each other or whatever is the goal of those communities, right? But I think there is often also a system design question in the room. That is something that is interesting for computer scientists and that I think social scientists often do not even think about it at the beginning of defining a project, right? At the same time, I think there is a lot of power in uh, thinking about, you know, the, the connection of, of the whole empirical study maybe with, you know, the theoretical body of, of, of research. And there is a lot of power in thinking about how to actually model then those phenomena based on theory and based on data and how to bring those two approaches closer together. So I could think, I think that often, you know, you could have three different kind of papers coming up out of a certain joint interest. And if you define those things at the beginning of a project in a smart way, then I think the project is of interest to computer scientists and social scientists at the same time. And that's a great collaboration because collaborations can only work if all sides really benefit from it. That sounds really great. I almost feel like we should have as well a course on that, right? Some seminar on how to plan collaborations because this is, uh, as you said, not the most trivial thing, not, not so easy maybe in the beginning, especially for scholars who are not so experienced in forms of collaboration. And with regard to our students, it not only applies to 
research, I'd say. It's also a question of collaboration in companies and um, wherever our students might um, later be, be engaged in. Uh, in your nature paper, you also diagnosed problems, hurdles that can or probably currently do um, hinder to some extent these um, collaborations. And one thing you mention is an insufficient quality of measurements, which is very hands-on uh, for criticism. Can you elaborate on that a bit? I mean, I think what we what we often see is that uh, we have measure. I mean, we have measurement models that operate on digital behavioral data, so some observational signals, right? And what we want is we want to have a, a measurement model that ties those observational signals to a theoretical construct, right? And often these connections are a bit superficial, right? So for example, often they are learned by machine learning models where you, you know, you hope that uh, without kind of you know, properly defining uh, the theoretical connection between the construct and the signals, you are able to inductively learn how the signals are connected with um, uh, the construct. And this, of course, uh, you know, leads to, to, to problems, right? Um, so to give you one, one example, there is a paper that, for example, proposes Uh, I think it was published in 2018, um, a deep learning network for discovering sexual orientation based on profile pictures, right? Um, so I think this is a, a good example of um, how things can go wrong, right? Uh, because, of course, um, we need to think about uh, who is potentially, you know, affected by such a measurement if we develop that, right? Do we want to measure something like sexual orientation based on profile pictures, even if it would be possible? Is this something that we want and how can these measurements be used or misused? And at the same time, of course, there are also questions about the validity of these measurements, which is the second concern, right? This is a an example of a measurement where I would say, uh, you know, of course, there is uh, insufficient quality here because what is the connection, right? The theoretical connection between your facial appearance and your sexual orientation. If this is, you know, a purely correlation-based um, approach, right? Um, of course, there will be still some predictive power. You will always find some correlations, but this is nothing that is, uh, you know, profound and, and, and theoretically informed. And this is what we mean by insufficient quality of measurements. If we measure social or psychological constructs, we should think about what is the theoretical, what are the theoretical roots of those measurements? What are valid signals that we can use to um, create a model that connects those signal with the different dimensions of the construct that we are interested in? So that would call for the, the course that Emesha uh, just proposed for uh, interdisciplinary collaboration to also include ethical perspectives from the other discipline in the sense of not only getting a, an impression of what computer science does for social scientists but also how what their ethical concerns could be what um, ethical aspects could come along with a solution and vice versa for computer science to see the social impact of questions but also to be confronted with the ethical ethical questions that social science asks these might be different to some extent Yeah, absolutely. But I also think uh, on top of that, uh, for, for computer scientists, it's also useful to learn about the um, different process controls 
measures that uh, in the social sciences exist to kind of ensure the uh, quality of uh, measurements, right, and the quality of data. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, survey methodology as a field that, uh, you know, is, is dedicated on thinking about the whole process from designing your research to the data collection, to putting service into the field, to computing the service statistics and so on. And in these attempts, such as the uh, total survey error framework, we see that, you know, in each of these steps, social scientists have thought about, you know, what kind of errors can occur? How can you mitigate those errors? How can you detect those errors? And I think this is also something that we will see in the future for social science studies that work with digital behavioral data, because this will help us to improve the quality of measurements, because it will give us best practices and guidelines so that everyone in the field independent of background, uh, disciplinary background, right? Will know what are the, the considerations that are required when you decide upon what data to collect, how to connect the data with certain constructs, uh, how to clean up your data, how to actually then create a model that associates the data with your construct and so on. I mean, besides best practices, maybe as you mentioned, awareness is important as well, because I kind of feel that if we think about this study, we don't need really social scientists to see that this might be a problematic attempt to measure sexual preferences based on uh, profile pictures, if you want. So I feel that this awareness is, is a very important first step to understand that um, yeah, things might be problematic, that just predicting something does not help us at all, that we need to think about what and how, as you outlined. And then, of course, as you said, yeah, these best practices that are um, good for computer scientists, but as well for social scientists, right? Because I guess that we, are, we might step into the same, same traps. But which best practices then concretely will or should we use? Well, this, this is, uh, I think, an, an open question, right? So, for example, when we think about the insufficient quality of um, measurement models, uh, then, of course, uh, a best practice would be that we always connect our measurement models uh, with, with theory and, and document them properly, at least if theory exists. Uh, but we can always document them properly, meaning we can document the assumption behind the measurement models and so on. Another uh, best practice that uh, would contribute to the quality of measurements is that we really think about um, and, and justify the, the quality criteria and the data sets that we actually use to compare measurement models. Because, uh, of course, you know, when you develop some, some measurement model and you want to argue that this is actually measuring what it's supposed to measure, you also need to, to think about um, how to uh, test that, right? And often, at least in computer science, you know, you see uh, cross-fold validations, which means that, you know, you would use your data set on which you train your model, and then you would hold some tests data out, and you would use that to basically show that, uh, you know, everything is fine and your model works as, uh, as it should. But the question is, are these good uh, test data sets. How can we ensure that they are good? Um, maybe we need a combination of um, also expert generated test data sets plus some holdout data sets across different domains and so on. So these are all open questions. And I think uh, we see more and more reflections also in the computer science community on that, right? There is the NLP community is publishing at the moment a lot about, uh, you know, benchmarking and how to ensure also um, that, you know, they have 
good ways of testing um, their models. Um, another, I think, you know, best practice would be reflecting on possible harmful consequences of measurements. So what is tricky here, right? While I think this is the best practice, of course, the question is, how should you do that, right? And I do not have an answer to that one, unfortunately. I think what we would need is some frameworks that actually help us or guide the reflection process. I'm not aware of anything like that yet, but I hope that, uh, you know, there are already some scholars developing such things. So this, this could really help to kind of structure the reflection process. And at the same time, I also think that we need participatory approaches so that uh, really all stakeholders that are potentially affected by measurements are involved in this reflection process. Because of course, our perspective is also always limited to our experience, right? So we will need to think about how to include other stakeholders, for example, in living labs or, you know, similar or with similar approaches. I think you, you kind of run into open doors here. The, the social sciences are very much in the process of kind of finding their own guidelines on what modern ethical um, research is we're talking a lot about um, ethical advisory boards these days and how we can also include them or combine them with computational methods and computational approaches which is not easy at all and i think the same applies to to the industries we see these ethical guidelines on an eu level that um, tries to set some boundaries for mostly machine learning algorithms and what data to use however they are rather unspecific so as far as i can I'm concerned so much to do then <laughs> to not only need to develop uh, yeah better theories together the abductive theories but as well more frameworks um, on how to act ethically what to measure how to measure it and uh, for me as well super important the uh, validation part how can we create good data sets for example to validate models because i always thought uh, we as social scientists especially communication scientists who are very much into manual coding we are experts on that but then i see how we encounter problems if we have huge data sets we need to understand the logics of modeling to be able to create a good test data obviously so it's not uh, simple but i feel that um, yeah the future is bright obviously and we have a lot to do and uh, hopefully yeah get into Uh, super productive and um, super insightful collaborations within computer science and social sciences. Claudia, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this was very interesting um, talking to you and with you about these developments and uh, the other concerns, but also um, pathways that we're, we're facing these days. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for staying with us. Yeah, and thank you all for listening to the new episode uh, of our podcast. If you have any suggestions for questions, topics or guests, please email us or uh, yeah, ping us on Twitter. We are happy to hear your opinion on that and hope that we will hear you back in the next episode. <laughs> bye. Bye bye. What is it about? Computational communication science?